Shut up and sit down. I kind of hate going back to a normal week after a, a beautiful switch up in the schedule, but I'm back to a normal week, but I've got good news. On the work front, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, something I've been ignoring. Well, not not so much ignoring, but holding my opinion on. Because it's a very controversial topic. I think you know what it is. It's about a kid in the UK. All this and a little bit more coming up. Get ready. And tighten your seatbelt. Because this is Fritzcast. It is Fritzcast, and it is Monday, July 24th, 2017. And you know what's funny about that? For some reason, uh, of course, I was on field training work, so I was training all the new graduate officers for the past two weeks. And I have these booklets that i got to fill out for them, and i got to sign and date when I go over certain training modules with them. And I was doing... The July month, I was putting, you know, 07 slash, you know, the date just right. And then for some reason for the year, I would, I'd write slash like 14. And I don't know why I was writing 14. I don't know what possessed me to write 14. But I wrote it in a bunch of their books, and I had to go back and 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 white it out and put the, the correct date on it. It was annoying. It was frustrating that... I just couldn't keep 2017 straight. It was it was it was annoying as hell. Whew. Uh I'm I'm feeling a little burnt out right now. I went out and I rode my bike for 5 miles. Just over 5 miles. And in just under an hour worth of time and that's something that when I get switched over to the 8 to 4 schedule for those for those couple of weeks to do the the training stuff. Uh, which I, I love. I love getting a dose of normal schedule of coming home and having an entire evening to do whatever rather than having an entire morning and afternoon to do whatever and working the entire evening with the possibility of getting frozen on the midnight to eight shift, potentially keeping me up for a 24-hour period. Yeah, you see where this job is fun? Yeah, now now you're seeing it. Um... I find the evenings better. I find having the evenings off is a little bit better uh, than the alternative. But the downside is that I have a hard time squeezing in the bike rides and such. I'm sure if I was on a normal schedule like that, my wife would be cool with it. But the fact that I'm not, she's, you know, oh, well, we have these few evenings together for a couple weeks. Let's, you know, enjoy them. And I can't blame her for that, and I want it too. So the bike riding kind of gets push to the side whereas if I had those evenings off every night I'm sure my wife would be like yes please leave the house for an hour <laughs> absolutely I'm sure she'd be okay with it I'd probably be okay with it married life that's what happens you find ways to you know you you, you marry each other till death do you part and then you try to find little ways to stay away from each other randomly because you'd kill each other you'd break it who was that comedian? One of the comedians that I listened to said something along the lines of, you don't realize that, but that, oh, I think it was Bill Engvall. You don't realize it, but that whole till death do you part, you're shedding a goal. 
I love my wife. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Speaking of marriage, Jay, Sean, and Luther are getting married in about a month's worth of time. Well, less than a month now because it's the 24th. They get married next month on the 20th. And the reason that's on the brain is because Saturday it was my ta- I was tasked with running the bachelor party for Jay Sean, which was massive success. Me, uh, myself, him as the bachelor. Uh, uh, I'm I need code names for the other guys. Big J, big cousin J, for Jay Sean, his cousin and his friend, uh, the Meek. We'll just call him the Meek. Did paintballing from like 1 to 4 p.m. Then binged on snacks and drinks back at Jay Sean's apartment. Then rode into Philly to a really expensive steakhouse. Wait, wait, you you know how to pick them, fancy man, don't you? Jay Sean is a fancy mofo, for those of you who don't know. I think it was Davio's Italian Steakhouse or something along those lines. So we had dinner there. Pretty pretty flippin' amazing dinner. And then uh, we walked the streets of Philly. We hit up Ashton Cigar Bar. We bar crawled. It was insane. I wasn't allowed to get off the hook, and I didn't get off the hook. I did. I, I had a couple beers for sure. But uh, not off the hook. For me, but for him, oh my, for him off the hook. Mission success. I gave that I gave that guy a bachelor party. Beyond bachelor parties is what I did. And then uh huh, Sunday went back to hang out with them and uh do up f- wedding favors for uh, you know, little wedding ornament things, little candies. Candy stuff for the table. Did that and just hung out around too and ate food, which was delicious. So it was all around great weekend. And now I have two days before I go back to work. And then I have to work something like 10 days straight because I just got Friday, Saturday off. Insane. So I have to work that many days straight because it's effective next week. So I lose my Monday, Tuesday. What does that mean for the podcast? I still intend to record the podcast on Mondays. However, however, depending on how this works out, I have to flow with it for a week or two, a couple weeks, see how it goes. Very well, might flip it to Friday. In which case, it's still Fritzcast, but it'll also be subdubbed. Fridays with Fritz. I like it. It's good marketing. Print it. Put it on some coffee mugs and t-shirts. Let's monetize this shit. You would you'd want to be a member of of the Friday with Fritz Club, wouldn't you? You'd like a like a coffee mug that says Friday with Fritz and has my stupid little bitmoji, like holding two thumbs up, smiling and winking, like that. That wouldn't be a thing. It would be like the louder with Crowder. I know Ben Shapiro. I think he has one now too. I know I'm not at their level, but come on. It's coming down the pike, right? It's got to be coming down the pike. I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, you know what's funny, too? Uh, the bike ride that I just did, I'm sitting in my office now. Uh, it was gloomy. Clouds were everywhere. I think there's still a 50% chance of rain today. 
But right now there's blue sky and sun. Of course, not while I'm riding the bike. Whatever. It's been hot and humid. So at least it wasn't completely unbearable for the bike ride. I got to do that every day for the rest of this week. And work out on my pull-up bar. Before I can start saying that I'm actually working out. Because right now I'm making up for all that not working out. And it doesn't balance out. Why doesn't it balance out like that in life? You could totally work an entire week of overtimes and bump up a paycheck. But if you work overtime and working out, it doesn't make up for the fact that you totally skipped two weeks and didn't do shit. And that sucks. That really sucks. Thanks God and or nature and or whoever else you would like to blame. As always, too, with this two-week thing, uh, I've been broken away from podcasts and really being ingrained and dived into what's going on in the politics and all that, Um, which is nice. It's a nice break, as always, but I feel like I'm so far behind because so much stuff is going on, and now now we'll be in the catch-up mode where I start figuring things out, and one of the things... That came to mind. I like uh, like one of the things that I posted in a blog this past week was my wife shared with me that she heard on the radio that Oregon instituted a bike tax. I don't think I talked about that last podcast episode. But I wrote a blog about it on fritzcast.wordpress.com, my blog site, where for all things fritzcast, fritzcast.wordpress.com. Check it out. I wrote a blog about that, and I just want to expound on that a little bit. Like, the bike tax that Oregon is implementing, when people hear that, they think, like, something... A lot of people think, like, taxes in your paycheck. Like, wait, you're, you're going to be paying, like, a monthly tax to ride a bike now? Or something? No, that's not what it is. Oregon doesn't have a sales tax. They rely heavily on income taxes, which goes up to, like, 9.9% uh, for the top filers. So almost 10% at the state level on top of federal taxes. Federal income taxes, that is. Anyway. So the bike tax is something that they've tagged on to sales of bikes for that are more than $200, and the wheel diameter has to be more than 26 inches. That means that you can still buy a bunch of bikes that aren't taxed, or you could just go out of state and buy a bike because you could. Uh, actually, the articles that I read, like bike shops out there, little little mom-pop bike shops, which, I don't know, maybe that's not the thing anymore. However, it's, it's mom-and-pop shops and the small business bikes at, bike shops out there are a little concerned that people are going to not select certain types of bikes anymore avoid the more expensive bikes because now they're going to be even more expensive. And I I think people brought up legitimate criticism against the bike tax. I mean, number one, biking is good for your health. It's a good healthy activity. It really has built up my stamina. I could probably go running a lot better now, uh, especially if I, like, you know, bike for the rest of the week and maybe the rest of my life. (laughs) Maybe it'll, uh, you know, make me a better runner. Uh, but it, it, it works out a lot of your body. It's a very healthy activity. And any form of tax, whether it's on buying the bike itself or or, or if, it's, if it was some kind of continuous tax, it kind of discourages you from bike riding, number one. 
I know some people are going to nitpick and argue and say, it's not, it's not, because um, sales tax doesn't stop people from buying stuff, and, uh, you know, soda tax doesn't stop people from buying soda. It doesn't, Philly. People have stopped buying soda because of how expensive it became, and it hurt businesses because of how expensive it became. So there's that aspect. There's the aspect of the fact that people probably aren't buying bikes as their main mode of transportation. Portland, Oregon, in the article that I cited in my blog post, is ranked as like the third most bike-friendly city in the United States. And that's great. That doesn't mean that everybody's buying a bike and doesn't have a car already paying taxes for road upkeep. And when you're applying a tax on bikes and saying that it's for upkeeps of bike paths and roads and all that, you're assuming that people are buying bikes and using just public sectors anyway or biking on the roadway. There's millions of bike paths in Delaware that I know taxpayer money has paid for. And guess how many I ride on as a bike rider? (laughs) Squat. That's how much I ride. I ride in the shoulders on the roads around my house because they don't have bike lanes, so I stick to the shoulders. And I bike all the way up to the local park, which, you know, is paved and all that. And that park, I don't know if it is county-maintained or if it's just, you know, a, a, a park that's open to the public that's privately maintained. I mean, you're free to go there. You're free to use it. You don't have to pay anything. But I don't know where the upkeep on that falls. I don't. All I know is that if you were in Oregon right now and say you had a car, so you're paying taxes via other means for road upkeep to keep you know to keep keep our roads and our bridges, which by the way, bridge infrastructure like infrastructure on the national level. Just in case anybody was wondering, because I, I love the the anti-libertarian arguments of you know libertarians are like. No taxation, period. Taxation is theft. Those are the hardcore libertarians. There's libertarian-ish people like me who say, yeah, you're going to have to have taxes and all that. But when people argue, what about my roads and my bridges? The roads and the bridges are crumbling across the nation. And taxes haven't changed on that. So, I'm just saying. Bad example for you to bring up. All right, Bridges are in bad shape. Delaware just, within a couple years ago had a scare on the 495 bridge, fixed it up rather quickly, and now, periodically, lanes are shut down while they're doing construction on stuff. And they're doing construction on every roadway in Delaware because the way that we make roadways isn't to last. They're not built to last. They're built to need continual maintenance, which is dumb, if you ask me. And the bridges, if you look up, if you went in and dived in and researched into bridge safety ratings right now and and the upkeep of uh, bridges across the United States, a lot of them are in dire, uh, well, I won't say dire straits, but a lot of them aren't in the best of condition. And very, very slow is the progress on the upkeep and renovating of those projects. So when you tell me my roads and my bridges... They suck right now, and taxes isn't really doing anything because we're too busy blowing up places in the Middle East 
among other things. Among other gross spending of the government that we won't dive into right now. Because I just, what I did just there, what you just heard, was a tangent off topic. Baseline, though, one of my arguments for it was just, it starts with, like, let's tax the bikes, and that becomes the norm, and then they raise the tax on bikes. And then, you know what they say, you know, hey, we have all these people riding around on bikes. Uh, Is it really safe for them to do that? Can they really, like, so let's start a bike safety course that will require them to get. We'll make them go get a bike license to, you know, ride a bicycle, and they'll have to maintain upkeep, and you know what, yeah, we want to inspect their bikes, and if that sounds a little extreme and crazy to you, pretty sure it worked that way with cars, so what's stopping them with bikes, what, why, how about this, how about this on the flip side argument, why is it ridiculous to ask a biker to get a bike license to make sure that they are squared away and know how to ride their bike and yada 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 is that am i saying the organ bike tax is going to lead to that apps i'm not i'm not saying that and i'm not speculating that i'm just saying somebody sometime eventually is going to say we should we should make them get biking permits you know why i mean you have to get a fishing license to go catch and release, at least you do here in Delaware. If I want to go to the creek or the pond around here and just catch and release, I'm not catching fish to, to bring home and fry in a pan because I, ugh, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I just want to go out and relax for a couple hours and catch fish and let them go back. That's all I want to do. But Delaware, damn, damn me if I don't pay the 11 bucks every year to get a fishing license. Which, you have to do nothing to prove that you have any safety knowledge uh, or anything of that nature. It's literally just the state saying, you have to pay us if you want to fish. That's all it is. That, that, that's all it is. There's no questionnaire. There's no quiz. There's no interview. There's nothing. There's just going to a store like Cabela's and paying... 11 bucks, 12 bucks, whatever it is, to get your fishing license or going online and doing it. Because damn you if you don't have a fishing license. Damn you if you don't have a bike license. You know, where's it end? Where's it end? Why why don't we have bike licenses? You, you, you get what I'm saying? Maybe. So that, that was something interesting that popped up. But one thing that has been ongoing for the last couple of weeks that I haven't touched up on is the story of uh, of Charlie Gard, the, uh, the what was that, 11-month-old baby, I want to say, out in the U.K. who has a very, very rare condition. Let me pull this clip of uh, Glenn Beck talking about it. There's an 11-month-old, uh, 11-month-old kid named Charlie Gard. Um, he is at the Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. He has a condition... Um, that uh, that leads to weakened muscles, organ dysfunction, um, and um, some really nasty other side effects and symptoms. It's a poor prognosis for most patients. Most patients, they can't do anything about. Um, there, there are some experimental treatments that are going on. But the baby has been in intensive care since October. The 
hospital has said, we need to take him off life support. The parents said, let us take him out of this hospital. There's a hospital in America that is doing some experimental treatment. Um, and the hospital took the parents to court. Now, why would you do that? Well, the hospital says the baby has to die with dignity. The baby is 10 months old. He's crapping in his pants. There is no dignity at 10 months old. You're drooling. You can't talk. You're naked half the time. And you're crapping yourself. And peeing in the face, literally, of the people who love you. What dignity do you have? The dignity of the healthcare system. The control of the healthcare system. The setting of the standards and not letting people out of the healthcare system so we all understand who's in charge. They went to court, the hospital won. The judge ruled that the hospital has the right and the parents have zero right to the care of their child now. Now I understand that the hospital says this is expensive and uh, we can't keep him alive. You don't have enough money. Imagine what intensive care for a 10-month-old baby costs. I can understand. But this is what has always set the West apart from the rest of the world. That we didn't dispose of our children. That we fought the hardest for life, all life. That they're, this is what Special Olympics is all about. That you're not somehow deformed or defective. Your life is special. Your life is sacred. And anybody who's done any work with Special Olympics knows, uh, I think those guys get a pass to heaven much faster than I'm getting one. There's a lot to learn from people of special needs. And there's a lot to be said by what a society does with its most vulnerable. No lie. This, this case has really highlighted to me one of the scarier aspects of, uh, well, government-controlled health care and health care control over what individuals would want done. It's a big facet of the healthcare debate that most people aren't going to have because it's uncomfortable. It's talking about the real nitty-gritty stuff of life and death and comfort and and uh, quality of life and, and, and uh, other things thrown in the mix there. One of the things that uh, kind of, you know, I'm going to step back real quick. My wife and I actually talked about this. And after explaining the case of the kid, my wife said, wow, if that was our baby, I wouldn't want him to suffer anymore. And I think I would, you know, I think I would let the kid, or she said, I think I at that point I would allow the baby to, die because of how bad that case is and the odds of 
the odds of having a favorable outcome being so low. Is it really worth it to put the kid through that much pain? That kind of thing. That's the that's the level that me and my wife were arguing it over. And I said, okay. I said, mind you, this isn't real. This isn't a real life scenario for us. And thinking about things in those terms, I can't wrap my brain around uh, how I would feel in the real life scenario. Just whereas right now I'm just thinking about it, and I I don't have a, an actual set of circumstances, and it's not real to me. I play devil's advocate with a lot of stuff. So I saw her side. I, I saw where she was coming from in the argument of, let's say you have a child or a baby, and it's a debilitating disease, and it is probably causing the child a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and the chances of treatment bettering and giving a better shot at a better quality of life being we'll just say minimal I could understand I can understand where she's coming from I took it to the next level and I said do you think I said I said to my wife taking it to the next level do you think that the government in question has any say in whether or not you could seek out the treatment possibilities for your child. To which she she more agreed with me. No. At the end of the day, the government shouldn't. That's where the health care debate really scares me as an individual. Just because, okay, here we're talking about a baby. How come, you know, what what rights do the parents have to seek treatment for their child? If you ask me, the parents have all the right. The hospital could say, look, there's nothing that we have on the books that works for this. There's a couple of experimental things, and that's the case here. There's experimental treatments that could possibly have some kind of outcome effect in the positive. It might, it might not. That's the that's the debate here. Who has the call? Who has the say in whether or not the the parents can give their child the treatment or not. At this point, the child isn't a, you know, sovereign human being or whatever, somebody who can think and rationalize and, and weigh the pros and the cons for themselves and make a choice. It lies on the parents. And the parents have weighed the pros and the cons, and the parents wanted to fight. As long as, this, as, long as our child is alive, as long as there's a chance, we're going to take it. It's a very noble, very, it's very, very noble, very fighting idea. I think most people would do anything for their kid, anything for their child, seek any treatment, pay any price. They they raised Charlie Guard's parents raised a lot of money in hopes to get him out of the UK bring him over here to America. We as America, we flew a doctor out there. Or we allowed a doctor, they allowed a doctor to be flown out there to look over the case. You had the Pope chiming in saying, hey, this, you know, you had the Pope coming in 
saying that the Vatican would pay for it. You had Donald Trump, of all people. Donald Trump, the guy that hates everybody, the, the sexist, misogynistic hater of all people, of all humanity, Donald Trump saying that he was willing to do something to help the kid. And yet it was block after block after block. And just now, I have a report here that says Charlie Gard's parents give up battle to take their son to the U.S. This article posted by fake news CNN by Richard Green and Hillary Clark stating, quote, the parents of the terminally ill British baby Charlie Gard have given up their legal fight over treatment for their son. Their lawyer, Grant Armstrong, told the U.K. High Court Monday that experts have said that the window of opportunity no longer exists. Quote, for Charlie, it's too late. Treatment cannot offer a chance of success. Grant Armstrong told the court. I, I, I assume that would mean that this is over. Albeit not by... Not by, uh, not really by the parents' choice. They were drug out in this huge legal battle. But it brings back, it brings us back to the. Uh, maybe it's not existential. It's not an existential argument, but it brings us back to the argument of who has the choice. And in this case of the kid, in this case of a child, a baby, I would argue it's the parents. Now let's talk. Let's take it even a step further. In terms of what if the doctor said, look, you have a disease. We think or we believe that it is terminal because we don't have any known cures or any process to go through that has been successful. We have some experimental treatments, but some people are thinking this is going the death panel route. And you know what? Honestly, what if the government said, look, it's over for you. Like the government stepped in or your health care stepped in. Or somebody other than you, as the individual, stepped in and said, Look, you're done. That's it. Go home and die. Does that not supersede your right to life, to liberty, to the potential pursuit of your happiness? I would argue that it does. I would argue that no government, no healthcare agency, no doctor, nobody but you has the right to say you can't have the right to seek treatment options elsewhere to try out experimental procedures. This is very this is very serious. In the case of the Charlie Car uh, in the case of Charlie Gard, the experimental procedures just on this facet alone Maybe the child, maybe he is doomed. Maybe. I don't know. It's a sad story. It's always a sad story to see little children, especially babies, but, but little children with debilitating illnesses that have the potential to kill them, that, that are terminal. And experimental treatments, you know, it it it's it's a it's a very weird argument that you could be having because you could take this kid you could take this baby to experimental treatments and then they don't work but science 
collects the data. The medical professionals still collect data on what they did on, on that treatment, whether or not it could be tweaked to be better. It He could be the case that they get and find the last straw or find the last puzzle piece and make it work. Now, it's, I mean, it's weird to bring that up because obviously I'm not, I'm not sitting here advocating, hey, you know what? We should just test on babies, you know? We should just test on babies to figure out if stuff works or not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's 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 a weird argument to be in to say that the, the child could die. Is it wrong to allow the parents to use their own funds, their own money, their own, you know, whatever the case may be, by their choice to say that they want to give their child the treatment, give their child the shot. They want to take that 15 or 10 or 20% chance that it possibly works. And if it did work, hey, they just found a cure or they just found something that helps an, an individual with this debilitating disease. It helps them understand it better. And at the but at the end of the day, the argument just goes back to whose right is it, whose choice is it. And I would say, as an individual, if I get a disease, if I go into the doctors tomorrow and they say you've got cancer, and it looks pretty bad, and we've never had a cure for it, but there's these treatment options. I believe that I have the freedom to say, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to try this option or this option or this option, you know, what, what, whatever the case may be. I believe I have the right to that. Now, when if you're if you're sitting out there thinking that, you know, oh well, this is a great argument for government healthcare. Actually, it's it's not. It's not a great argument for government healthcare. Who's to say that the government isn't going to say? Cut off the doctors say you're terminal. We have three out of four doctors saying you're terminal and one doctor saying that there's three experimental treatments that may have success. But we've determined that it's too expensive and we're not going to allow that to be paid for, so go home and die. This is where the argument comes into play. Who has the power? Who has the options? Who has the right? And I, at the end of the day, always say it is the individual that has the right, not the government, not your doctor, not your friend Bob, Steve, or Joe, and not me. For you. You have the option. You have the choice. Why don't the parents have the choice in this? This is the debate. This is the debate that people don't want to have. But we need to have it. People don't want to think about the possibility that they could be diagnosed with some terminal illness and be sitting before their doctor with their doctor or a team of doctors laying out options for them. You know? Nobody wants to think about being in that position where the doctor says, look, I can give you X, Y, or Z treatment, X treatment, has had moderate success with, with people. Y treatment is brand new and we know nothing about it. And Z treatment has only a you know a 30% success rate. Or we can make you as comfortable as possible. Your choice. It's always the patient's choice, though. 
Never should it be the doctor saying, well, yeah, we, we got nothing, and you don't have the right to look at this experimental stuff. That's what seemingly seems to have happened in this case of Charlie Gard over in the UK. I don't understand a thing about it, and I read up other articles where the doctors there in the hospital are getting death threats. Death threats isn't, a, isn't the way to fight against something like this, especially because I don't know that it's exactly the doctors or the hospital in question as much as it is maybe the healthcare options out there. All I know is that it seemingly seem it seems to me that parents have had their rights taken away for seeking something for their child. Their child who, while his prospects weren't very good-looking in the first place, I still feel they had the right. Them as the parents had the right to say, we want to see, we want to take him to the United States, we want him to get this treatment. Sometimes it is grasping at straws, straws. sometimes it is hoping too much, but this is coming from me. I've had a sister, 12 years old, had cancer, died relatively quickly. Was found to have cancer, I believe, in November, and succumbed to it in March. And I don't know too much of the story. I know my mom's probably listening to this right now, and my mom could tell me, but treatment options were staggered across the board for her, and I believe, I, I could be wrong. My, my mom can correct me. Absolutely. But I believe that every possible option was explored for my sister before all those exhaust uh, all those options were exhausted i believe we took or i believe my mo- my mother possibly uh with the choice or or with the backing of my sister took every option possible but I, like i said i could be wrong I was a young boy at the time, and it was a subject that I didn't want to think about for a, a really long time after it occurred, but I, it just comes to mind. You know, I don't know what my father went through when, when he was diagnosed with cancer, and I don't know what options were laid before him. So that's a good question to ask yourself, thinking about this case, which, which now it looks like we're coming to a close of it, or will be shortly now with the news that they have lost their window of opportunity, so to speak. Now, on the flip side of politics back in back here in America, we have our typical, you know, Donald Trump tweet storms, which we're not going to cover. We have, uh, you know, Sean Spicer, the press secretary, correct? Press secretary. Sean Spicer stepped down from, <laughs> from his job, finally. <laughs> Sean Spicer finally gave out July. That's how, that's how long it was. So January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Seven months. Seven months for Sean Spicer. And he gets tired of standing in front of the press dealing with uh, trying to sound credible in front of the press. More or less. I mean, come on. That's exactly what happened. So now Sarah Huckabee Sanders takes the uh, the, the, the helm 
of press secretary, uh, the third, I believe, third female to do so in history. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of funny for a guy who is completely misogynistic and all about the patriarchy, right? That he would have a female press secretary. That's beside the point, though. It's a different argument. That's been going on. Uh, the health care bill has pretty much sank down to just an, a repeal of, of Obamacare now. Uh, that is what... That is what they're getting ready for. This week, the Obamacare repeal vote looms over the Senate. And <laughs> with no replacement in mind, let's just repeal it and worry about it later. And it's not its not working out so hot. All the while, Russia news is blowing up again. With uh, I'm seeing headlines here that Putin told Trump Russian hackers were too good to get caught. Uh, Jared Kushner testifying saying he didn't collude with any foreign governments again. But, uh, you know, among all that, uh, I think the music community, I think the music community this year, this, this year and, and the past year has been hit probably the hardest, man. Um, there's, uh, Chester Bennington, singer from Lincoln Park, found dead. Uh, reports, uh, there was a lot of mixed stuff around this. There was, uh, some people were saying just the other day that it wasn't a, an apparent suicide, and I'm reading right now, um, on The Independent that, uh, that the coroner has confirmed Chester Bennington, Chester Bennington's cause of death is, uh, suffocation, hanging himself in his home near Los Angeles, uh, this, of course, a couple just a couple of months after it was back in May, Chris Cornell, frontman for Soundgarden, Audio Slave, Temple of the Dog, uh, an all-around great musician, great vocalist, uh, he also hung himself and committed suicide a couple months ago. It's been uh, it's been it's been a hard time for music lovers who have lost icons like you know David Bowie within the past two years. Chester Bennington gone, Chris Cornell gone, and uh, David Bowie, of course, passing away, succumbing to a disease, and Chris Cornell and, and Chester Bennington uh, taking their own lives. Who Chester Bennington has a big story about struggle and depression and a lot of other things uh, in that nature. A lot of Linkin Park songs are very reflective of that, and it, it's just it's sad to see. It's, it's worse to see how people are nitpicking and arguing and, and, and bickering over suicide to the, to the point that, I mean, to the degree that we're talking about how, you know, people say not moments after somebody dies or commits suicide that, you know, suicide is so selfish. That, that type of thing, which I can't, you know, su don't talk about and, and debate about suicide. Uh, probably one of the worst things somebody can do to themselves because of, I mean, at the end of the day, because of their mental status, what's going on in their head, what's going on with them as a person. I don't like to argue and nitpick and, and talk about how it's selfish. Those are initial reactions of people in the cases of suicide.
It's been it's been tough for the music community. So that is gonna do it for me for this week. I'm gonna put a wrap on it there. I mean, I, this is what I want you guys to think about over the course of the next week. Keep your eyes on the Charlie Guard thing. Makes you wonder about healthcare. Makes you wonder about government control. Makes you wonder about your rights. At the end of the day, that's one of the reasons why, that this is that is a highlight case of one of the reasons why you'll never hear me talking about socialized medicine and health care. Because it scares me, it scares me. Because you have to realize the implications of it. And I think there's serious implications. So, guys, thanks for listening. This is what I want you to do. Like this, share this, comment on it. Spread it on social media. And let's talk a little bit more about Charlie Guard and medical rights. Medical treatment rights. Follow me on Twitter at FritzQS. Follow me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast. And the blog at FritzCast.wordpress.com for all your Fritzcast needs. Love you all, and I'll see you all. Or rather, you will listen to me next week. Jedi Mind Trick, you will listen to me next week, and you will share this with at least one friend. <laughs>